What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. Vernon and Zama back on the show, and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington. Chase, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. I've followed you all on Twitter for a while, and I, I am always interested in what Wizards fans have to say, and I feel like you guys probably know as much, if not more, than most Wizards fans. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you guys always bringing the strong opinions and, and, and interacting with me on Twitter. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that, and I definitely appreciate you as a voice in the media um, and, and have for a long time, and I'm sure Damo can say the same. Yeah, no doubt, man. Uh, you know, you call a spade a spade. As fans of it, that's all we want, really. I try to. Yep. Yeah, so uh, thanks for coming on today. And we have a few topics to go over today. And then at the end, I asked anyone if they had any questions. And I got a little bit of responses, so we'll do some questions at the end. But for the first part of the episode here, just where we are now, uh, Chase, what are your feelings about the wall and Westbrook trade and I know we can play King hindsight here and maybe say it wasn't a good trade but what is your analysis well it's sort of evolving before our eyes a little bit because obviously the way things have started uh the Rockets look like they've gotten the better end of it just because amazingly John Wall's been the healthy one and Russell Westbrook's been the guy with the injuries I don't think anyone would have bet on that um Obviously, John Wall did have the left knee soreness, but he's come back and he's looked good. I, I think it's going to take some time to obviously evaluate this trade. And I think when the Wizards made it, they weren't thinking about how he would look in the first month, John Wall in particular. It's what does he look like two, three years from now? Um, because you've got so much money committed to both players that you're just trying to evaluate the risk and the odds of either guy staying healthy. And Russell Westbrook lately has looked better and better because it was just a quad injury, uh, you know, a, a sore muscle, uh, you know, that he got banged up in games and in practices. It, it's nothing structural. So I think you have to feel pretty good about that. And, you know, if you're trying to bet on John Wall's long-term future, you're betting against him getting hurt again. And it could be any number of things. You know, I think people um, sort of sleep on the fact that his two-year injury absence did not begin with a ruptured Achilles. Like he was already out with a, a heel surgery where they removed bone spurs from his heel and then he fell in his house. He also has had surgeries on both knees. So, you know, it's just a long history of injuries that Russell Westbrook doesn't have. Now, John Wall is an unbelievably skilled player. And I think people lost sight of that. And you could see that he's just so smart and, and it, the, he understands the pace of the game so well. It's clear that he studied the game while he was out and came back, I think in, in some respects, even better. But we're going to have to evaluate this long term because, um, you know, the, the Rockets ultimately did take on a lot of risk with that deal. And that's why I defended it in, in, from the Wizards perspective. But I'll, I mean, I have to admit that so far it looks like the Rockets uh, did pretty well for themselves in that trade. Yeah, um, I definitely would agree that at this point the Rockets definitely won the trade. And I know that Russell Westbrook has been shooting the ball better lately, but, um, and I know John Wall actually has a worse three point percentage than Russ this year. But I mean, coming into this year, I would have thought that John Wall had a better shot, but, um, I mean, Dama, what are your, do you have any updates on like how you feel the trade has gone or are you pretty much the same? Like the Rockets kind of won. And, and I know that like Chase was saying, Russ has been playing better lately and he obviously played excellent. Um, against the Nets, but overall it still just feels like Russ hasn't lived up to the contract. Yeah, I mean, similar to what Chase is saying, I mean, it, it it's hard to say definitively right now, but so far it looks like the Rockets, you know, won the trade. I mean, I, I just looked here, Wall is shooting about 37% from three right now in about five attempts. If he's going to do that all season, I mean, they're going to be pretty hard. To, he's going to be pretty hard to stop, especially in that Silas offense. So, yeah, I, I think the Rockets did well, especially with the roster. I mean, it's just the roster there is just tailor-made for what Wall does best. So, yeah, yeah and they did well. They did well. Yeah, and I mean, I, I know that the pick that they traded is likely going to end up being a couple second-round picks, but I still think that second-round picks are extremely valuable just because – it's another opportunity to 
invest in your team and get a guy that can be a part of your future. I mean, as long as you have the right people in place in the front office, I mean, you can find value with those second round picks. I know Ernie didn't value them that much. And, uh, <laughs> That's Tommy the truth. Seems to, Tommy seems to value them a little bit more. But, um, I mean, the second-round picks that the Wizards have had so far, I mean, one's already off the roster and one uh, – and no disrespect to Cassius Winston, and I know it's still early, but I just don't think that there's a long-term fit for him on the roster. Yeah, and one thing when it comes to John Wall that I've been so surprised about um, is that he's he's the, the, he's the first line of defense on, like, the second-best defense in the NBA. Like I wondered how his defense would be coming off that Achilles surgery. And it's clear that, you know, you have to have a whole team that's committed to it. And it depends on the structure that's around him. But if you're telling me that the Wizards could have had that good of a defense with him as the point guard, then that definitely would have changed my mind going into the deal. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the draft picks, it is heavily protected. And that's one of the reasons why I thought it made sense for them to make the trade. Um, you know, at worst, it would be the ninth overall pick, which, you know, could get you a Rui Hachimura or a Denny Avdia, but it's not like you're going to, you know, hand over the second overall pick or the third overall pick like the Brooklyn Nets did to the, the Celtics with that infamous Paul Pierce deal. And the Wizards, you know, I, I think it was time for a change, probably for both sides. John Wall wanted to be here long term, but I think it's probably best for him to get a fresh start elsewhere. And as the Wizards tried to establish a new culture. I think it helps to sort of break free from the previous era and try to build around Bradley Beal. And John Wall, I think, is a good teammate, and I think he's a, a, a good person to have in your locker room, but there was just so much history there. And when it came to John Wall and Bradley Beal, we had already seen what those guys looked like when they were healthy in 2016-17, and Bradley Beal wasn't the player he is now. But I think at the time, we could all see that the ceiling was only going to be so high. So at least it made sense to to try something new, at least in my opinion, given all the history there. And so far, it's not working out that great. But again, this is this is really about the long term and their injury risk. In terms of the second round picks, um, it's good that they're valuing them and they're actually spending them on players. But they've had some real problems there, man. I, I I think a lot of people could have seen it at the time that Bull Bull was worth taking a flyer on. I thought he was a yes, lottery pick yes. and he slipped yeah. into the second round and then the Wizards, you know, buy that pick or they trade to get a second round pick and they pick Admiral Schofield, who I, I didn't fault them for at the time because I thought he fit into what they were trying to do, which was defense and, and trying to build a culture. He's a really good, you know, locker room guy. But Bull Bull, man, they really missed on that one. That would have been such a great story. You know, the son of Manute Bull. Um, you could have stashed him on the go-go to start and, and probably sold a lot of tickets uh, in Ward 8. Uh, it would have been so much fun to have him. And I don't know who they passed on this time. I haven't really gone back to look at anyone who's done really well in the second round. I've been focusing a lot on the first round this year. But you're right, Cassius Winston, I, I thought, you know, the long-term upside isn't there. You're hoping that he would kind of be – plug and play because he's a four-year college player and he was so um, accomplished at Michigan State but he he just does not look like he has three-point range at this point and it doesn't look like he's quick enough to stay in front of NBA point guards no he just looks um, a, a little small um, like I said Admiral Schofield I mean isn't even on the roster anymore um, so tough luck there in the second round but yeah I mean Bobo was available and this is the approach with me that I'm not quite sure I understand with um, like with GMs and I know it was Tommy's first year um, in a draft, but it's like making the safe pick. Cause to me, the safe pick would have, would have been bubble. I don't like when people in the draft come out and they're like, Oh, he's going to be a locker room problem. Well, this is what you have Bradley be on the roster for. This is what you have a Russell Westbrook on the roster for so that you can help them make that transition and teach them how to be, how to be a pro. I mean, if the reason for not drafting bubble was, because of his personality or they thought he was going to be a problem in the locker room. I'm just, I, I don't buy that. Yeah. And with bowl bowl, uh, the personality concerns were there. You know um, one of them was, does he, does he love basketball? And he's just such a well-rounded player and has such uh, a diverse skill set. that yeah, there's like natural talent there, but like clearly you got to work pretty hard to be able to, <laughs> You know, dribble the ball like he does at his size and and pass like he yeah. can and defend like he can and even shoot like he can. I mean, his numbers at, at Oregon were absolutely dominant. So 
if you're talking about a second round pick, those are the types of guys that you should take a flyer on because you're trying to add upside to your roster and just imagine, I mean, I know he hasn't done a whole lot this year, but just imagine how the, how different the outlook would be if bowl bowl was in the system, even if he wasn't playing right now, but we saw what he was capable of, you know, in the bubble or in the summer league. Um, I think there'd be a lot, a lot more long-term upside for this roster. Yeah. Dama, do you want to clean up here? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, as you said it, I mean, I had Bowl as a top five pick. So for him to be available then in the second round, I mean, I thought that was a no brainer. I mean, and, you know, you, you take a seven foot two guy that can dribble, pass, shoot from 30 feet, can block three, four, five shots a game. I mean, you just, I, I just thought that was a no brainer pick to, to take a fly on that guy. And if it doesn't work out, I mean, he's a second round pick, he's off the roster, he's cheap. You know, right, who cares? Yeah, who cares? Um, and if he works out, then you're a genius. You know, but yeah, I, I get I get why Tommy made the pick he made because, you know, you're trying to set culture. You're trying to get the right kind of guys in the locker room. So you don't want a second-round pick coming in and kind of shaking the apple cart there. But it was just too much talent to pass up. You, you, you just had to. You had to. You just had to, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so definitely they've missed out, I think, on on both second round picks so far under Tommy Shepard. But um, we'll, we'll get to Tommy more in a bit. Right now, I kind of want to transition into Scott Brooks. And um, Chase, I'll get your opinion on Scott Brooks here first. Me and Damo have talked about Scott Brooks endlessly. And <laughs> we, we definitely think that he's the main culprit here. And, and I know it's it's more than just him. It's it starts at the top and we understand that and we know that they may not be able to do much with the roster. The players they have maybe aren't playing as big a role on other teams. But I mean, just from when Scott Brooks was hired to now and I mean, especially over the past two seasons, I mean, what is your personal analysis of Scott Brooks? Well, it definitely isn't going very well. Um, you know, the first season he did a great job. I thought the second season, considering the circumstances, was fine. Uh, the last two years, there's been a lot that has gone on. You know, last year, you know, you, maybe you could say that you couldn't get a great read on him because it was a developmental year where you were you weren't really trying to win. You were trying to develop all these young players, and there were, there were some guys that showed promise. And there was that quote from Jamal Murray after they beat the Nuggets last year, where he said, "This is one of the hardest playing teams in the league." and I was thinking, okay, well, that's exactly what they want to hear from opposing teams. They, they're trying to build that culture, that blue-collar culture, and, and flip things from what they used to be. But it's clearly been very disappointing this year. And you wonder how long the patience is going to be from the front office and ownership. I mean, he's in the last year of his contract. And you do have what are legitimately unprecedented circumstances that have besieged them with the coronavirus outbreak and the effects we're still seeing from that, just having uh, guys who missed weeks and then are trying to return to the NBA at, at the highest level of the game and play against uh, opponents that did not miss that time. So they're weeks behind. And then you have guys coming back at different stages and not, no one's on the same page. So it's tough to evaluate in, in that regard, but clearly there's some decisions that I think everyone can see that he seems to be a little bit late to. Um, you know, Garrison Matthews should have been playing. Um, yes. Isak Bonga, I think, should be playing more. Um, Mo Wagner, I think, should have been playing over Alex Lynn right off the bat when they brought Alex Lynn in. Um, there are there, there are some things that people point out, I think, rightfully, and the coaching staff seems to be a little bit late to them. Now, when it comes to the defense, I, it's hard to tell because I think that the roster defensively just does not have the personnel to even have a prayer to even be an average defense. They didn't address rim protection in the offseason. I was saying that they needed to do that through the draft. And I understand going with Denny Abdia, the best player available. And I think if you evaluate the guys who are on the board, you can make the case. He still has the, the most upside long term, even though Tyrese Halliburton has been significantly better and he was picked 12th. But, you know, you you could have gone with uh, Precious Achua, who uh, has been really good for the Miami Heat. Or if you went with Ty Halliburton, he would have immediately stepped in and be been your best defender at the guard and wing position instantly. I mean, he disrupt he's very disrupted. He gets a lot of turnovers. He's extremely smart in passing lanes. 
Denny Avdia is actually a better defensive player than I thought he would be. But when it comes to rim protection, I, I don't think you're going to solve a lot of your issues until you get a guy who can protect the rim. And you pretty much have to draft and develop those guys. Uh, you know, I made this comparison in the pre-draft um, phase that it was basically like NFL quarterbacks, like the teams that have good rim protectors don't let them go. So you're not going to really find them in free agency unless you spend a ton of money. And if you, you're, you're not really going to trade for one unless you give up a lot of capital. So you have to draft and develop one. And they haven't even tried to do that in a long time. The last time they tried to draft and develop a rim protector was Jan Vesely in 2011. And we all know how that worked out. But to not even try in the last 10 years to find a rim protector in the draft, there's a problem with that for me. And, it, you know, at some point, when are you going to try something new? Because you've gone the free agent route. Yamahimi was supposed to be their rim protector. That didn't work out. They've tried to trade for them. That hasn't worked out. The only thing they haven't tried is drafting them, and they skipped another year in trying for that. So I don't know. Maybe in 2021 in that draft they'll find their rim protector. But um, it, it's just the type of thing that can cover up so many other weaknesses in your defense if you just have someone in the lane that makes people think twice. I think that – so for me and my analysis of the Wizards' defense, like I understand that rim protection is um, was one of the needs going into the offseason. And like you said, I mean, they definitely – did not address it and we'll get more to the offseason that they had here in a little bit but the the bigger issue for me personally and i think i i speak for damo and this on this on well was that the perimeter defense was atrocious i mean it's like they don't even try to defend anyone i mean they either just leave people open on the wing or when they go out there to close out i mean i mean guys just go right by them i mean damo do you agree with me on that yeah i mean we've we've talk about this ad nauseum. I mean, you know, there was so much that you all kind of pointed at Thomas Bryant before his injury and coming into the season as him being the main culprit behind the his defense. And I always thought that was kind of his place um, because, I mean, watching them defend on the perimeter, you don't give up 21 threes uh, because your center is bad at defending in the paint. You know, that's because your your guys on the perimeter are not communicating, not properly rotating. Some of them are 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 you know going under screen. They're going over. They're not fighting through screens. Or they're switching when they shouldn't be switching. I mean, it's just. I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, in the Portland game, just watching them, you know, you got guys running over and they're triple te triple teaming Mellow and leaving Dame Lillard and and Trent Jr. wide open at the three point. I mean, it was just. It, or they're crashing down on Enos Cancer and, and leaving Lillard and, and and Covington wide open for three. Like it's it's just it, it's crazy stuff that makes no sense. And and I've I've asked a number of times on on Twitter and just just in talking about the Wizards, like defensively, what are their rules? Do they have any principles or like what is their philosophy or identity when they go into a matchup? Because to me, it just doesn't seem like they have one beyond their personnel. Because even if you got Rudy Gobert, I'm like, well, what are they going to have Rudy Gobert doing? Is he just going to be playing drop coverage and standing in the paint and getting in foul trouble because your your guards and wings can't contain? Um, like, like, what are what is their rules? What are their 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 identity on on that side of the ball? I just don't see that they have. Yeah, I mean, Chase, have you – I know it's hard for media guys to just basically ask, like, Scott, what are you guys trying to do on defense? But, like, is has he ever given an insight on to what their game plan is defensively? Because it just looks like they just – and, I mean, offensively, too. It's just, like, they don't really have a plan. Well, none of it works, obviously. But <laughs> their plan defensively is they like to switch. Um, they like to play man, man to man and switch. Sometimes they go into a zone, but really what they're trying to do is follow the analytics and take away shots at the rim and theoretically take away shots at the perimeter and sort of live with what teams will get in the mid range. But what you're seeing this year is the wizards are actually allowing the fewest points per game within five feet of the rim, but the most points per game actually by a pretty big margin from five feet to the three point line. So they're letting guys penetrate into the mid-range 
and just not contesting those shots and not forcing misses. And the three-point line has been a complete disaster this year. Um, that's why I, I think Garrison Matthews and Isak Bonga are two guys that maybe could help. I mean, Isak Bonga, obviously, the, the defensive metrics love him, but he's just got length and good instincts uh, defensively. And Garrison Matthews is just a, a scrapper. You know, he's the type of guy that will will run into you and is not afraid of contact. And I think it makes teams think or makes players think twice when they're going up against him because they feel like they might get a bruise if they run into him. Uh, he has kind of a football player mentality. And I, I don't think the Wizards have enough players like that. Um, you know, I, I kind of wrote this last night and I've been saying it recently. They have kind of a finesse defense. You know, it reminds me of uh, Steve Smith, the former great wide receiver for the Panthers when he left the Panthers and went to the Ravens. I remember he said his old division, the NFC South was a finesse division and compared to, you know, the Ravens and the Steelers and the Bengals and the Browns. And I feel like the Wizards have a finesse defense, man. Like they, it's like they're, they're afraid of like, you know, getting a scratch or a bruise or something like that. And I, I say that knowing that they, they foul like as much as any team in the NBA, but they're just not a physical defensive team. And I think what they should do is they should try to take this uh, group, this sort of nebulous group of wings and guards that they have that no one has really differentiated themselves from. It's like Matthews and Robinson and Bonga and Troy Brown. Um, those guys just tell them like the only way you're going to get playing time is if you are a pest defensively and play physical, mean defense. And if you don't do that, you're not going to play because it doesn't matter if they're making shots. They don't need those guys to make shots. They've got plenty of scoring, even with Thomas Bryant out. And Thomas Bryant is one of the more efficient centers in the league. He's out and the scoring like hasn't really dropped off at all, except for right when they got back from the COVID outbreak because they were just missing Rui and Denny and Davis and, and all these guys. They still have enough scoring to win games. They just can't get stops. And the three-point shooting has been a big part of it. And you just can't leave guys open, like Damo was saying. You, know, you, you can't leave a Gary Trent Jr. open when he's a 42% three-point shooter on almost seven attempts a game. Like That's got to be on the scouting report. And it doesn't matter that he's a backup for C.J. McCollum. You got to have a man on him at all times. And if he wants to dribble into the mid-range and take a shot, you'll live with that compared to a wide-open three where there's no one within five feet of him. And so this makes me question why Denny only gets 22 minutes a game because as you just said I mean you want guys out there who are going to be pests on defense and I mean Denny is by far I mean in my opinion from off-ball defense to on-ball defense I mean he's their best defender I mean he just is and I mean we saw his minutes get kind of cut and it was either the third quarter or the fourth quarter yesterday to put Bertans in to just have him come in and give up a bunch of threes and miss a bunch of threes and so I don't know if that was just to protect him from getting that fourth foul or whatever going late into the fourth quarter. But like just the rotations, um, especially when you talk about guys who like you need to put defenders out there, it just, it hasn't made much sense. If you're not going to, if the offensive guy isn't going to be doing offense on the basketball court, it just makes sense to put guys in who are going to be able to give you something a little bit more well-rounded. Like I think Denny can, I mean, even Denny last night, I mean, Denny looked fantastic, and he made his threes. So um, I'm not so sure what Scott Brooks's plan is. I mean, with the rotations, offensively, defensively. Now, let me ask you here, Chase. Uh, uh, do you think that this is his last year? And if it is, are there any candidates that you have in mind that you think they'll go after or any that you like personally that you would like to see them go after? Well, at this point, I think obviously the odds are stacked in the favor of this being his last year. It's the final year of his contract, and they're off to a very disappointing start. I mean, barring in a miracle turnaround, um, you would have to expect that they go in a different direction. So we'll see. I mean, there's there's time. It is a shorter season, though. It's 72-game season, not 82 games. So each one counts more. So if you're, you know, 3-13, and uh, 13, you know, or what are they, they're four and 13. That's really the equivalent of being like four and 14 or four and 15, right? Um, because you have 10 fewer games. If they move on from him, I think the name that's going to come up immediately is Wes Unsell Jr. He's an assistant with the Denver Nuggets. Um, he's got links to the franchise. Obviously, his, his dad is the greatest player in franchise history. But um, he also worked for the Wizards uh, way back when. So I think he'd be someone... 
it would be interesting. And then Mark Jackson's a name that um, I think is going to be interesting to watch because him and Tommy have a longstanding relationship. Um, Tommy Shepard, if he makes that decision, of course, uh, was he's got his, his start with the Denver Nuggets. He began as a PR guy and then he moved into the front office. And Mark Jackson was a player at the time. And, you know, they became uh, relatively close, I think. You know, I, I interviewed Mark Jackson at the Summer League uh, back in 2019 when Tommy Shepard was the interim GM. And he had a lot of nice things to say about him. So, you know, Mark Jackson, um, you know, his his fallout in Golden State was well publicized and it had to do in part reportedly with, um, you know, him having some controversial opinions uh, about gay marriage and things like that. So you have to wonder with the the politics of the Wizards organization, whether they'd be cool with that um, in this city. But um, he's a guy that I would uh, consider near the top of the list. It, but it depends, you know, if they, it depends on if they want to go into like a full rebuild. Because if you do, right. then you probably want to go with a Wes Unsell Jr. or someone like that. If you want to keep Beal and make a hire that that you know catches his attention and tries to keep him happy long term, then you probably go with someone like Mark Jackson or someone more established. Um, I thought Kenny Atkinson did a good job for the Brooklyn Nets before they moved on and ended up with Steve Nash. You know, if you're trying to establish a culture, he'd be someone I would look at. So those are the kind of names. I th but I think it really depends on. Um, which direction you want to go with this franchise? Because a lot of fans I know have complained, you know, you have one foot in one foot out from a rebuild or a, a retooling of the roster. You kind of either need to go uh, full bore in one direction or the other. And I think, especially when you're considering a hire like that. Yeah. Um, do you think that they're forward thinking enough to interview college coaches or do you think that for their head coach search? And I know, again, a lot of this depends on what direction they decide to go. But um, I mean, do you think that they would entertain that? Or do you think it's strictly just going to be NBA guys? You know, that's a good question. I haven't really uh, thought of who in college would be next in that regard. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, it's worked out really well for Boston with Brad Stevens and Billy Donovan did a tremendous job with the Thunder yeah. and I think is going to ultimately get the Chicago Bulls on the right course. Um, so if there's someone like that, that would make sense. I, I don't think it would be like a, you know, John Calipari or someone like that. Um, no. I, I think the ship has sailed there for him with the NBA. It seems like he's pretty content just uh, coaching the Wildcats in Kentucky. Um, but, you know, that's a good question. I, I should probably start thinking in those terms at this point and, you know, considering who might be next. Um, Brad Stevens obviously stood out before he got hired because he did so much with uh, a mid-major at Butler. And Billy Donovan, uh, though I was surprised and, and wasn't maybe a huge fan of that move at the time, uh, clearly the Thunder knew what they were doing, and I was surprised that they let him go because he kept them afloat with through all those changes on their roster. So it's certainly something that the Wizards should explore because um, those guys are, are – cases of success no question yeah i mean the two guys that damo and i have talked about um in, in terms of college or at least that i've mentioned um jay wright because we knew that there was some interest uh from philadelphia um when they were going through their coaching pr hiring process and then this is just a personal one for me and it will never ever happen but it, it would just be fun to think about you know if, if the wizards end up um, if they keep going on the path they're at now, you know, there's a good chance they end up with the number one, number two pick or whatever. If they can get Jalen Suggs, they already have Rui Hachimura on the roster. I mean, Mark Few would be a fun hire. Again, I don't think he would ever leave his post. There's no reason for him to, but I mean, if Mark Few wanted to come coach the Wizards, I mean, I'm probably, I mean, signing up for that. No question. Um, Damo, do you have any thoughts? I mean, are there any names that we didn't mention that you like? No, I was going to say that the, the Mark Jackson, interesting, because I had never thought that he would be kind of on the radar for that, but it, it, it does make sense. And, I mean, if you're talking culture change, he is definitely that. Because, um, I mean, a lot of what <laughs> people forget what that Warriors team was before he got there. And so, I mean, yeah, that, that would be interesting. Um, and they play defense. And yeah, he if you don't defend for him and play hard, you are not seeing the floor. So uh yeah, that that would be very, very interesting. 
Um, I, I'll say I wouldn't be opposed. I wouldn't be opposed. It depending on what direction they go, like you said. I mean, if they keep Bill, they're going to try to get somebody more established. And if they go rebuild, you know, it'll probably be someone younger who doesn't have much uh, experience. So we'll, we'll see. Chase, really quick. I, I know that uh, John Wall is not here anymore, and I know that Bradley Beal may or may not be here next year, but do you think that Sam Cassell would possibly be an option? I know that he had a, a good relationship with those two, and he coached for us here um, for a while, and he hasn't really gotten an opportunity yet. But, I mean, do you know if he has a relationship with Ted or Tommy, and, and do you think that that would be a possibility, or would you kind of rule that out? Um, I wouldn't rule it out. You know, he did interview for coaching jobs this past offseason, right? So he's kind of on the cusp. And, um, you know, Tommy, if, if Tommy's making that decision, then, then Sam was an assistant when Tommy was here. So, you know, Tommy's uh, the type of guy that knows a lot of people and has a relationship with a lot of people. And I would expect, you know, th- there's a high likelihood that he'll go someone that, with someone that he's familiar with and that he has that he knows. And Sam Cassell, um, I think, got rave reviews as an assistant here. So there'd be a lot of high recommendations from people that, you know, Tommy has worked with very closely. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just looking him up right now. He's from Baltimore, Maryland. So that would be kind of cool, you know, close by. Um, so I, I would expect that there'd be a chance that he'd get an interview if they end up doing a coaching search. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's a lot of quality assistants out there. Um, there's Darvin Ham, who has been – with Mike Budenholzer for, I mean, probably a, a decade now, it seems like. Um, so I wonder if he'll get any opportunities eventually. David Vanterpool is another guy that I like. He's kind of bounced around. He was with Portland for a while, but now I believe he's with Minnesota. Um, I bet I bet Becky Hammond would get a, a look too. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think I think just knowing the Wizards organization and how they operate, um, mm-hmm. I, I think they're, they're definitely – trying to be for a forward thinking operation and an open-minded um, organization in general. And, 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 you know, you see like the Amber Nichols hire as the, the GM of the go, go, um, you know, Chris, Christy Tolliver being an assistant on Scott Brooks, staff before this season. Um, I, I think they would absolutely at least uh, give her an interview and, and strongly consider her for that job. Because obviously everyone's waiting for like, w- which team will be, the first to hire a female head coach and she's right on the cusp. So she's definitely got the qualifications to be considered. And I mean, there's really not a better guy for her to learn from. So, I mean, I I would absolutely love that hire if that's a direction that they decided to go. And before we move on and talk about Tommy more specifically here, uh, Dama, you want to finish up with anything on the potential coaching hire? Yeah, I was just looking um, at a name I just came across uh, off of the Raptors staff, Adrian Griffin, under mm-hmm. the nurse. Um, he's another guy. I know the, the links to Asai. I guess we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, that would be another name and former player. So, again, Yeah, he was under – go ahead. No, I was going to say, again, it depends on who's making a decision and and then what we do with Bill. That would be another name I would, wouldn't mind looking at, too. Yeah, he was under Billy Donovan's staff um, for a long time, I think. And was he in OKC when Scott Brooks was the head coach? I don't remember. I don't think so, because I think he started there in 16. So I think, yeah, Brooks was here by now, by that point. Yeah. Um. So let's move on here and talk about Tommy more specifically. Now, the first year, I thought Tommy... Um, was pretty good it wasn't a year where there was going to be much risk for anything so every move that he pretty much did was okay I didn't like giving up Jordan McRae for Shabazz Napier that and I guess that's kind of nitpicking but um, I thought with what the league is now you want wings that can defend wings that can shoot sorry can create for themselves I thought that he was a really good player and to give that up for a point guard who is really only going to shoot. I mean, he's an okay perimeter defender, but it just didn't seem like that was worth the trade. Uh, I did like the, obviously, who didn't like the moving Isaiah Thomas and bringing in Jerome Robinson? I mean, even if 
Jerome Robinson um, is not a wizard anymore after this year. And there's a good chance that he's not considering they declined his team option um, for next year. But I mean, that's still a winning trade in my opinion, but this past off season, it was, I'm, I'm trying to say this nicely. It was the most disappointing off season that I can remember when the team has expectations to, be a playoff team again. And Chase, you mentioned this earlier. They needed a rim protector. They went out and got Robin Lopez. They needed someone on the wing who could defend or shoot the three. They used their biannual exception on Anthony Gill, who isn't even active. I mean, just what are your thoughts on Tommy, I guess? The first round drafting seems to be okay. But again, other than that, I'm just I'm not so sure about him long term. Well, I think we've seen some positive signs from Tommy compared to Ernie. But the question is, have we seen enough signs? And how much patience is Ted Leonsis going to have in him? Even though he showed a lot of patience in Ernie Grunfeld, this is a guy that you promoted from within and is a holdover from the previous regime. So maybe he'll view it a little bit differently. And maybe he'll see it as like, okay, you know, you got two years. Uh, rather than, you know, if it's a normal external hire for a GM or someone who wasn't tied to a a regime like that, then maybe you would give them four or five years. So we don't know how much time Ted's going to give him, but certainly he's expecting it to look more better than it is right now. And the signs that we have seen that are positive from Tommy, I would say, are the two first round picks, Denny Avdia and Rui Hachimura, I think are, are encouraging so far. Rui was definitely a hit at the number nine pick. Denny, I think we're seeing the signs that he was probably a hit as well, although they did pass, like I said, on Ty Halliburton, who is probably at a minimum going to be first-team all-rookie this year, if not rookie of the year. And Precious Achua would have helped right away in a very specific need. And Garrison Matthews, finding him undrafted and him showing as much promise as he has, that's the type of move that we did not see previously when Ernie was in charge. He just never found diamonds in the rough quite like that. Um, you know, the closest you could say was maybe Thomas Sadoransky. Um, but I think, I think Garrison Matthews has a chance to be better than Thomas Sadoransky, uh, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, the Davis Bertans trade was tremendous, uh, getting Bonga and and Wagner for nothing was a good move. Ish Smith signing, you know, letting Sato walk and getting Ish Smith, I thought was, uh, in hindsight, I didn't agree with it at the time, but in hindsight, it was smart. Um, I still think over time getting out from under John Wall's contract uh, is going to be is going to potentially work out pretty well for them. But defensively, you know, there's some flaws to this roster. It's just an imbalanced roster. Uh, They focus so much on offense that, yeah, they're like the fastest team in the NBA and they score a lot of points, but they can't defend anything. Um, and you know, you look at the best teams over the last decade, the last 10 teams that have won titles have been top 11 in defensive efficiency. And the only outlier, that 11th team that wasn't top 10 was the 2017, 18 warriors. And they had Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Steph Curry, like a completely, um, you know, a, a model that you just can't replicate because they had so many great players and Draymond Green was a defensive player of the year. And Clay Thompson was, uh, is an all de- uh, defense wing. So when they wanted to play defense, they could. And you saw in the postseason that that year, they had the number one defense in the NBA. So they locked down when they needed to. So you've built this team and you basically have completely ignored the defensive end. And I was surprised over the off season that they did that because like the first year, there was so much that had to be fixed that, Tommy couldn't do it all. So clearly he focused on offense over defense. But I thought that second offseason for him would be the opposite. And you would try to provide some more balance to your roster. But he just kind of kept rolling with the offense. Um, you know, the defensive moves that he made were so marginal. Like Howell Neto, yeah, he shows up well in defensive plus minus. But he's your third point guard. So he's going to play like, you know, 10 or 11 minutes a night. You know, yeah, he can shut down the, the third point guard on the opposing team, but that's not going to make a difference. Uh, Robin Lopez, you know, you, you clearly tried to favor uh, financial security or f- financial flexibility moving forward, but he's not going to make a major impact in the short term. And Thomas Bryant, they were banking on him being a better defensive player. Obviously, he got hurt. That was unfortunate. But there's some really deep-rooted problems defensively for this team, and like I don't think they're going to be able to fix them on the fly. So Tommy... Um, 
you know, he, he hasn't focused enough on the defense and it's really hurting them in, when it comes to wins and losses. So this is a question I have for you, and you may or may not be able to answer this, and this is probably more of a thing for the NFL, but I'll go ahead and ask. I know that Scott Brooks probably like gives his opinion, but do you think he has any sort of say in, in personnel, whether that be draft or free agency, like any serious like input? I think he does a little bit. Um, you know, the as the story goes, he had some input on the Anmihimi deal because he thought they needed a rim protector and and w- didn't think that Marching Gortat um, was going to be the starter long term. So I think he really pushed them to get a rim protector, and they made a big mistake uh, in getting Yamahimi, obviously. And I don't put that all on him. Um, I put that on the front office more than him. But, uh, you know, I think that was an Ernie move. Um, you know, the, as this, another story goes behind the scenes, you know, they had the opportunity to sign uh, Zaza Pachulia that offseason at a much lower price. I think it was on a two-year deal, something like two years, like $12 million. And uh, Zaza and his agent were pretty shocked when the Wizards came back and said, no, we're going with Yamahimi for four years and $64 million. So that was, uh, that was a big mistake. I, I don't know how much um, input Scott Brooks has now because there's just so many voices that are involved. You know, they've got this more robust analytics department. And, you know, Brett Greenberg's their assistant GM, and he's kind of a handpicked guy from Tommy Shepard. Uh, you know, he got his start with the wizards because uh, I'm pretty sure because he saw him at a, a Duke game, um, you know, um, Brett used to work for uh, coach K staff cause he went to Duke and, you know, he got his start in the industry in part because of uh, Tommy. So um, I, I think there's a, you know, and then there's Sashi Brown, who's, I don't think he has a huge say in like personnel, but he, he runs this analytics operation for them and has helped build, build that out. So I think they get input from a lot of people. Even John Thompson III has a seat at the table, as they have said. Um, but I, I don't think it's a, a big-time like coach-slash-GM-type role where he's you know, pulling strings and telling them who to pick like it would be, you know, as you see with Ron Rivera and the Washington football team. So um, one of the names that kind of resurfaced if the Wizards do decide to move on from Tommy – as GM, and this came up um, a couple years ago, or whenever that was, was um, Masai Ujiri. And l- let me ask you here first, I guess. If the Wizards do decide to move on from Tommy, do you think that he's still back with the Wizards? Because I don't think he's a guy that you just kind of get rid of. Like, he clearly knows the game. He's a nice guy. I think he deserves to be a part of the Wizards in some aspect. But, I mean, if they move on from him, I mean, do you think he's back, or do you think they're just like uh, – you can go try being a GM somewhere else or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's not usually how those things work. Of course, you know, if you bring in a Maasai, he's going to want his own people. And, um, you know, the Toronto Raptors have uh, a pretty deep bench in terms of their front office. Um, You know, when the wizards redid their front office, that was one of the teams that they kind of looked at them and the Clippers who just had a lot more personnel in their front office. And instead of firing a bunch of people, the Wizards just added a lot of people like Johnny Rogers, uh, Sashi Brown, and John Thompson III, and all these people in new roles. So I, I would think that Masai would have someone under him in Toronto that he respects their opinion that he would probably want to bring in. It, it, it would be tough, I think, for Tommy to survive that. It's just generally, you know, not how things go. You see, like the Washington football team, I'm a big fan of them. You know, they bring in Martin Martin Mayhew and, and Marty Herney, and then Kyle Smith has to leave, even though from the outside it seemed like Kyle Smith was a pretty talented young guy. Um, that's sometimes, you know, it's just they, they all want to be on the same page and they have their own people that they've worked with. As far as Masai, though, I, I still would be surprised if, if anything ever came from that. Uh, clearly, Ted and the ownership group are enamored by him, and I think everyone in the league is enamored by him, and, and you know, maybe they see this as um, – the right timing to pry him away from Toronto because the Raptors aren't as uh, aren't the team that they were a few years ago or even last year. But he makes so much money. I mean, last time this happened, he basically, from the outside looking in, seemingly used it for a contract <clears throat> extension, and now he's making ten million yeah. a year. Like, are you going to pay him more than that to come in? And he's an executive; he doesn't sell tickets. Um, and he's done a really good job. He did a good job in Denver and he's done a really good job in Toronto, but 
I don't know. I feel like you could you could find someone for half the price and still be paying a pretty pretty penny for a GM. You know, like we saw with um, Tim Connolly. You know, they, they reportedly and and you know I heard the same thing that they didn't want to pay him uh, what he wanted, and you know he was asking for like half of what Masai wants. So is Ted and the ownership group really going to pay that for a guy who isn't going to move the needle in the box office? You know, maybe long term he builds a winner, and then you know you have a much more popular team, but that's generally not how owners uh, see things. If you have him in house and, you know, you continue to promote him. Okay. It makes sense. But I would guess if they moved on from Tommy, then that it's not a Maasai that they bring in. Um, but we'll see, you know, I, I feel like we're still a little ways away from that. We got to keep in mind that, you know, Ted has, has shown remarkable patience um, in certain instances, uh, certainly with Ernie Grunfeld. So, for him to give up on Tommy after two years, when when like I said, you are seeing some positive signs, um, I, I don't think we need to consider that to be a foregone conclusion at this point. Um, Damo, you got anything here in terms of GM? Yeah, I mean, you know, with the with the Masai thing, I I hadn't thought about the his cost. Um, I, I didn't even know he was making that much, but that that is a lot of money for an executive. Um, you know, and I think, I think Tommy is a, is a solid guy. Um, you know, I was just looking over some of the, some of the names that were available at the wing spot over the summer, um, you know, where they could have addressed the defense, but, um, you know, they, they went with Robin Lopez, they, they went with Neto, but, uh, I mean, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. I mean, it just really depends on the direction of this team as far as how they go with Beal. Uh, what type of say so he has in that, even? Um, I mean, it's gonna be interesting, but yeah, I, I didn't think of that that price tag on on the side, but uh, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Like, I, I wouldn't be opposed to Tommy being back, uh, but if you can get Masai at a at a at a decent price, you got to go for it. I, and I think that's what you were – when we talked yesterday, you had mentioned that – and you tweet this all the time. Like, you need a real GM who's going to do something to shake up your franchise and give you a legit shot at competing. Because if Tommy keeps making these safe financial signings or safe trades or whatever, I mean, the, the team is never going to get marginally better even with Westbrook and Beal on the roster. I mean, we're seeing that now, that they've gotten no better, that they've gotten worse. Um, right. Right, and like I was saying, I mean, it, you you watched, you know, the 76ers last year. They they spent all that money. Elton Brand spent, you know, $400 million in contracts. And, you know, they were a sixth seed in the East. Uh, and so then Maury comes in, and then within two weeks, you know, he fixed everything, literally. I mean, Danny Green, Seth Curry, you got off Al Horford contract, and now the 76ers are sitting as a one seed. So it's like... You know, that's when I, when I think of a general manager, that's the type of guy that I'm thinking of. Uh, you know, somebody that's aggressive, somebody that's going to make moves. You know, two, three steps ahead, not just a safe play, but you know, they're ahead as far as the moves they're making, and they're able to kind of make a way out of nowhere uh, to address the needs of the team, and they do it in an aggressive manner. Um, I don't know that Tommy has shown the ability to do that yet, but I mean, I'm not opposed to to seeing you know giving him more time to, to show that he can well and that's the thing too if tommy wants to kind of have this play it safe type mentality with running a team that's fine but then the team should not be trying to compete you should be trying to trade bradley beal try to find a way to dump russ's contract and then rebuild because then you can make the safe moves with the veterans and and you can do what i mean you've been good at so far you keep investing in your first round talent and finding a, a way for them to be successful on your roster, grow them, keep them in-house. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Um, but if you are trying to compete, he just doesn't seem like a guy that's going to make a big splash. And again, like you said, uh, he could just need time. But, um, I mean, Chase, do you have any final thoughts on Tommy? Yeah, when it comes to... Tommy, I just I go back to that timeline. Is he going to get the four to five years that a normal 
like first time GM especially would likely get at least in a patient organization. And the Wizards have been a patient organization because if you keep stacking chips like Rui and Denny, over time you're going to have a deep roster of young players with with high upside. Um, I think we're learning that there was a lot of damage done previously, and and the financial flexibility. I think it makes sense. I mean, he did give a ton of money to Davis Bertans, but you can't, I think they learned their lesson. You can't go down the road that they did previously getting into the luxury tax with, you know, three max players and another contract like Yamahimi. It just, it ruins your ability to add depth. Um, I just think then they need to start looking at the defensive end of the floor and, and start making moves solely with that in mind. And also looking at their roster and considering, okay, what's the best way to build around Bradley Beal? You know, I, I mentioned this in a story last night. Like s- some players are good enough where you design rosters around them to fill in the areas that they don't, uh, that aren't their strengths. Like with Giannis or Dwight Howard when he's with the Magic, it was pretty clear. Okay, you just surround them with shooters, and that's the best way to maximize their ability in the paint. Well, you don't need to surround Bradley Beal with shooters. Like I think they've tried to do that and give him more space. You need to surround him with scrappy defenders and ideally a rim protector behind him. And he can score enough, like give him a little bit of help scoring wise, but you've got one of the most complete scores in the NBA. Build lineups and yep. build a roster around him that is entirely designed for defense. And I think you'll have a good team. Yeah. And I think that again, yeah. goes back to coaching as well, because if you can get a guy like, for example, like Mark Jackson, where, you know, the defensive expectation is immediately going to go up. Um, Maybe you have uh, more success with that. But let's actually talk about Bradley Beal now a little bit more. Uh, The Wizards are not good. Um, This is a thing that doesn't need to be said. But it's important because Beal hasn't requested a trade. And actually, in fact, the reports are that he wants to stay and make it work in Washington. I mean, Chase, what's the the reasoning behind this? Because I got to tell you, me and Dama, we, we we don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, it it continues to go down this course where, you know, at one point is something going to change one way or the other. Are they going to win or are they going to continue spinning their wheels and losing and expecting the results to change, even though they're trying the same thing, which is basically this high octane offense around Bradley Beal, but not enough defense to actually win games. It's it's going to, I think, continue on this course until Bradley Beal wants out. And so I don't think it's going to happen this season, but if they squander this season then next year is going to be really interesting because he's under contract through next year technically the year after that but that's an opt-out so he can enter free agency after the 2021 22 22 season right so mm-hmm. that tra- the trade this year's trade deadline unless he forces himself out um i don't think you have to worry about him leaving because the wizards want to build with him and they recognize that he's a rare talent in their franchise history, and he's 27, and he's continuing to ascend. So I think they they want to see where this goes because he continues to get better, at least offensively, right? And I, I think there's there's merit to that. But if you're going to approach the next trade deadline, not this one in March, but the following one, then you really it's going to be decision time because you can't risk losing a guy like that in free agency. Um, I haven't written this yet, but I've been thinking a lot about it, and that is that. You know, as much as people argue that you should uh, trade Bradley Beal and get a bunch of draft picks back, I think there's reason to believe that you should trade a bunch of draft picks to get another star. And the reason why I say that is because Carl Anthony Towns, I don't know if he's ever going to be available for Minnesota, but just say it's Carl well, Anthony go, Towns. Hey, just say it's him. <laughs> say you trade four your your next four first round picks that you can trade for him. That's an incredible risk, right? you're bringing in Carl Anthony Towns and then you have two top 15 top 20 players in Towns's case I think when he's at its best he's a top 10 player and Beal could be there someday see how that works for about a year and if it doesn't and you want to blow it up you don't have your first round picks but you have two players who can get you a lot of first round picks back and as long as either of them stays healthy you should be able to recoup all those first round picks for a team that you know is going to you know give you anything you want because they want a star to compete for a title. So I kind of flip it around and think that they should do the opposite. Um, And they've got about a year to figure this out with Bradley Beal. I would call someone up and say, look, literally anything you want, except for Bradley Beal, you can have 
You know, if it's the Timberwolves, I would say anything you want for Carl Anthony Towns except for Bradley Beal. What do you want? Just tell me. And if they part with Carl Anthony Towns and you bring him in and say you got to give up Bertans, Rui, Denny, and you know several first round picks, well, you got Bradley Beal and you have Carl Anthony Towns. And I guess at that point you still have Russell Westbrook, but that's a good enough duo, Beal and Towns, where you can you, you don't need a whole whole lot around them. You can sign a bunch of depth guys and probably make the playoffs and, and maybe do a lot more than that in the Eastern Conference. So I, I kind of flip it around and say I think they should do the opposite because you can get those picks back. Damo, he pretty much is like read your mind. I'm going to let you go here because, uh, Chase, we actually talked about this yesterday, and he brought up Carl Anthony Towns. So, Damo, I'll let you continue with that here. Yeah, man. I mean, you, yeah, you took it right right out my mouth, man. I, that, <laughs> I had literally brought that up just yesterday uh, uh, as a guy that, you know, that's – potentially could be available, you know, maybe not right this minute, but say next next year or in the summer, um, that is frustrated with their situation and doesn't really see a pathway to winning. And Carl Anthony Towns, to me, is every bit as talented as Joe Kick or, uh, or, or Anthony Davis or Embiid. He's every bit as talented as those guys. He's one of the best shooting big men to ever step <clears throat> on the court. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're talking about putting him next to a Bradley Beal, and then you got a defensive-minded head coach, or and then you're surrounding the 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 rest of the roster with scrappy defenders and shooting. I think you got as good a shot as as any other pairing you can put with Beal or or blow up that you can think of five ten years from now uh, to go and play some competitive basketball. So I I'm all for that. Um, I just I just would like them to to pick a lane, um, and it seems like they're kind of teetering on. You know, do we go right. young guys? Do we, you know, we got Beal, who's a top 20, top 15 player. But, you know, we got all these guys on the team around him who are like 24 and younger. And and we've seen the history of this league. Youth doesn't win in this, in this league. It's guys that are 25 plus, 26, 27, 30s that win championships in this league. So if you're going to have seven, eight guys on your roster – you know, and then you're going to add another 20-year-old in the draft and then tell Bradley Beal that you're trying to win championships. I just don't – it just doesn't add up to me. So at some point, when do you cash these guys in for a legitimate piece that takes you to that next level? Um, and it will be nice for them to do it, but it, it's, you know, to be determined, I guess. And so I guess I'll I'll go here and then I'll let Chase finish up um, with this time. My only thing with, like – with because I still lean towards rebuild. I know you guys may be a little bit more optimistic with than I am, and you know, I mean, th- that is what it is. It's just a difference of opinion. But I mean, my thing is like, okay, you have Bradley Beal on the roster, and yeah, he's this great player. But what what else are they going to do around him to like make him better? I mean, what are the Wizards doing now? They went out and got another All NBA caliber player, and we have the worst winning percentage in the NBA. And like we were, we just got done saying, like Tommy hasn't made a big splash. So maybe it's something in the offseason or next year where Ted and Brad go, yeah, okay, we're pretty much going to need you to do this or we're going to find someone else who can. Um, and then maybe you squeeze it out of him. But, I mean, again, just out of the offseason that we just had in a year where, okay, you pretty much needed to make the playoffs because you just made this investment in, in getting Russell Westbrook, you – convinced brad to stay more long term and you went out there and got robin lopez and anthony gill like it just it isn't really adding up to me and i just don't know if the wizards are going to be able to win while brad is still on the roster which goes back to rebuilding and it's not a shot against brad he's not a bad player i mean he has his downs in his game like everyone else does but it just goes back to okay if you're not going to win now then his value to this team is relatively nothing. I mean, again, we're, we're last in the NBA right now. We're last in the Eastern Conference. The team is not good. So my approach has always just been just get what you can for him. And I don't even know if Bertans has any trade value at this point. Um, but, I mean, you. Pr- I don't know if you look at that right now because you still need to give him time to get back in shape. And, and I'm sure that he'll end up being fine eventually. Um, I don't think that you trade him this year or anything like that. But if it continues in next year, maybe you um, look into moving him. But, I mean, if you can trade him, you can get a Michael Porter. Um, 
you can get a James Wiseman from the Warriors or something like that. Like you just add another lottery pick, top five player to like top five pick player to your young nucleus that you already have. And then you're able to draft a, a Jalen Suggs or a Cade Cunningham. And I said this all the time, and I mentioned it again yesterday. Like, who's to say this rebuild has to be drawn out? Who's to say this team can't be competing for a playoff spot again in in three or four years? I mean, I mean, Chase, what are your thoughts? I guess on just that stance of it. Yeah, I mean the the trade package. Like I said, I would do the opposite. Instead of hitting the brakes, I would push the gas. Instead of right now, they're in cruise control for the sake of that metaphor. They're just like <laughs> coasting at like forty miles per hour. And they need to do to pick a lane or pick a direction, right? Um, I don't know. It depends on how desperate teams get. Because I say that in in as a concept, but if anyone offered the Wizards what the Thunder got for Paul George from the Clippers, that's the type of Godfather offer I think that you'd have to really think about because they got Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think it was four first round picks, right? Plus Danilo Gallinari and. Paul George at the time that he was traded was even better than Bradley Beal is now. I mean, he was first team All NBA, um, and his he's if you I don't know if you guys have seen how good of a shooter he's become, but he's like a better three point shooter than Bradley Beal now. It's it's absurd. Yeah, like in yeah, terms of yes, efficiency and volume. Yeah. yeah, and he defends. So maybe you get a similar package minus the Gallinari, or maybe it's like a Shea Gilgis Alexander type plus three first round picks. You know, if you can get the multiple first round picks and a young player who I think projects as an all star like SGA does, in my opinion, then I think you have to think about it because the Thunder proved that like, okay, you can take Paul George. We'll still win and set our future up better. Then you have to consider that. But but again, I would I would be making the calls rather than taking them if I were the Wizards and it would have to be the right player. I mean, Towns is young and he's under team control and he's just such a well-rounded player. That's the perfect option. There's not, I don't know if there's even another guy that you could compare to how attractive that would be in terms of a player to trade for that could become available. But I, I would be blowing up the Timberwolves saying, What do you want? Anything but Brad. Just tell me what you want. Yeah. yeah um, I definitely understand that there. And then, I mean, to your knowledge, are there, and I know that the Wizards really aren't taking calls per se, but are there any teams in particular? that are like really interested in him or has it overall just been kind of quiet? Well, it's been quiet, but there are teams that have shown interest periodically. Um, the Denver Nuggets are a team and a lot of people think the Pelicans would be interested in Bradley Beal. The Sixers are another one. Um, I think Denver or New Orleans would be the best options probably because you could get a bunch of first round picks, but they're teams deep in talent. Like even though the Pelicans don't win, they've got players that would interest me. Um, you know, I don't think you'd get Zion or Brandon Ingram, <clears throat> but maybe you could get, you know, the guys in the Lonzo and, and Jackson Hayes tier. Um, I'm not sure about Lonzo Ball right now, but they've got a bunch of young players. So those are two teams that I would kind of highlight. I don't think it's going to be the Lakers or um, – I guess maybe the Miami Heat. I mean, they've got Hero. and uh, Actually, I would definitely throw the Heat in there because if you could get Precious Achua back and a Tyler Hero and some first-round picks or something, then you you got to listen to that offer um, because Achua, you could really you know rewrite your, your defensive system around him. Um, so those are the teams I would think about. As much as people make about the Lakers, I don't think they have the assets to do it. Yeah, um, I mean, especially going back to the Pelicans, I mean, Damo have talked about this several times. I mean, if I'm making a deal with the Pelicans at minimum, I mean, I'm asking for um, NAW and Kyra Lewis. I mean, there's no way I'm not doing a deal if both of those guys, if both of those guys aren't included. I don't think they'd give up Brandon Ingram. I mean, because I think the idea is you kind of have your three there in Ingram, Zion, and Beal, and then you're kind of locked and loaded, ready to go. You know, you fill in the gaps where necessary, but... Um, the Pelicans have been more interesting to me over time. Uh, Dom, do you have any thoughts on the Beal trade market or anything that Chase just said? Yeah, I mean, the, all those teams make sense. Um, I mean, my favorite is is Denver. I mean, because I'm just a fan of Michael Porter Jr.'s upside. I mean, 6'10 with handle and a jump jump shot out to 30 feet. Um, One pick away. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so. 
I, you know, I would be definitely Denver would be top of the consideration for me. And then um, I think the best deal, if you're just talking a full reset and getting the best picks possible or pick possible and young talent would be Golden State. I mean, Wiseman and then that Timberwolves pick that's uh, top three protected this year, but unprotected in 2022 in the Chet Holmgren draft. That is, uh, yeah, that would be appealing to me. Um, you know, around those two assets and just throwing salary filler. If you're going full rebuild and just, you know, it's Denny Rui show and, and you got Wiseman and then you got another possibly either top five pick or your, and then your own pick this year. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can get, I can sign up for that. Um, and then, like I said, in, like was already stated, uh, I mean, Miami, even though I'm not really, I'm not as high on Tyler Hero as uh, a lot of other people are. I, I think he's a fine player. I don't see him being a top 20 player in the league. Um, I just think, yeah, I, I don't see that with him. Um, I don't really see the athleticism uh, or, or, you know, the in-between game. Like he's, he's solid, but yeah, I don't, I don't see top 20 upside. And if I'm, if I'm trying to make that trade for Beal, who's a bona fide top 20 player, I want a guy back that I think could be a top 20 player five, 10 years from now. So, uh, yeah, Denver Denver and Golden State will be where I would be calling. So, Chase, before we get to the final segment and we ask you, um, we get you the questions that uh, Wizards fans wanted to ask. I mean, so just for the rest of the season, like give me kind of, a prediction on how you think the rest of the season is going to go. You think they end up being worst in the NBA, kind of like how they are now, worst in the East? Do you think they get better? Do you think they make any sort of moves at the deadline? I mean, just anything you got, uh, we'll take here. I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Oh, yeah, sorry. No, I'm just asking, like, what do you think is going to happen here um, for the rest of the season? Like, do you where do you think they'll finish? Do you think they make any sort of trades or anything like that? Well, I've been pretty high on their playoff hopes, um, but I'm definitely softening that stance. I mean, if they make the playoffs, <laughs> I think it's going to have to be as a play-in team. Um, you know, this is, uh, this is a really deep hole that they've dug for themselves, and it's partly been because of the COVID outbreak, of course, but it's also been um, a lot – lot on them i mean they started out zero and five before the COVID outbreak hit um they had davis bertans come in out of shape um you know they didn't take the preseason all that seriously they've been awful defensively um so i don't know if they can fully recover from what they've done but i think it might require some some trades you know like going back to what was it, the 2017 or 2018-19 season i believe when they made a trade in december you know getting rid of uh Ubre and bringing in uh Trevor Ariza that was a trade in hindsight but that type of timing of a trade where it's like you don't wait till the deadline you try to bring in some defensive help now i think they might have to do that pretty soon um they have to think about doing it pretty soon because this roster there's talent on it it's just it's just not it doesn't have the right balance and in your defense isn't anything close to what it needs to be yeah um and so we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. Uh, Chase will go on and get you out of here. I, I want to thank you again for taking the time to come on with uh, me and Damo and chat it up with us. And uh, maybe you can get back on with us in the future. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. Indeed, indeed. Yep, no problem. All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Wizards of Galilee Place podcast, and we will see you next time. <laughs>